0: welcome to life point church our mission is to glorify god and make gospel driven disciples by engaging people in the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on jesus
1: philippians chapter 2 verses 19 through 30 i hope in the lord jesus to send timothy to you soon so that i too may be cheered by news of you For I am the more eager to send him therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me.
0: My name is Wes, I'm one of the pastors here member of our preaching team, and I've been out of town the last couple of Sundays uh, on the road with my family for a family reunion. It was a great trip, um, and you know how after you're, you you go on a great trip, it's also so good to come home, and it's good to be home, so it's good to be back here. I've missed you all, uh, and it's been great to get caught up on where we've been in Philippians the last couple of weeks uh, that I've been out. Uh, we've looked at a couple of really significant passages. And I encourage you, um, if you need one of these, pick one of these up. These are the guides that we put together, the study guides that uh, one of the DTMs put together this past spring, and you can follow along. It's a a great way to help you stay connected as you travel, as I did. And it was awesome to come back and and go through this and, and listen to those messages. But man, some amazing passages, right? Two weeks ago, Zach preached Philippians 2, 5 to 11, unfolding the the glory and the attitude of Christ, and it's this this foundational scripture that is a huge part of everything that we are about, and and when it comes to to Jesus and the teaching of Jesus, it's huge. That was two weeks ago. Last week, Dale preached Philippians 2, 12 to 18, and that famous passage, working out your salvation with fear and trembling he he unfolded what it means for us to work out our salvation and fear and trembling and he used a really incredible illustration that we're actually going to come back to return to in a little bit here uh, but some really incredible wonderful passages rich passages and this week that brings us to today the rest of Philippians 2 where Paul The great Apostle Paul, unmatched, he's been there, he's a big part of how the church has grown. The Apostle Paul shares with us in this week's passage his friend's travel plans. Aren't you excited? You know, the joy of a preaching team is sometimes you get to preach the first half of Philippians 2 and sometimes you get to preach the second half. (laughs) Y'all <laughs> kidding aside, this is a unique section. Like we get this 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 really quick change of pace in the second half of Philippians two. And it's funny, if you study this and dig in a little bit, like even, even like famous historians who, who, who study scripture, Karl Barth is one who, who points out that this section, unlike what came before and unlike what, what comes after, this section doesn't seem to have any real direct teaching and we've just come from this rich rich teaching on the very nature and personhood and godhood of Jesus and and we're about to dig into some other stuff and here we get like copied on Paul's Expedia travel log for the upcoming month you know Um, so it's it's left people asking why is this here (laughs) we trust that God's word that it's here on purpose, and that His Holy Spirit has included every word and every bit of it is good, it's useful for us for teaching and rebuking and all these things. We know this about God's word, so why is this here? What is Paul's purpose in the rest of Philippians chapter two? You know, for this section, we'll see that Paul has both a logistical purpose and he also has a discipleship purpose we're gonna dive into those, but I'd like to invite you, would you pray with me before we, we dive into this? Heavenly Father, we trust your word is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It is able to separate every bit of our heart as we come to it. And I pray, Lord, today that the power of your word, even a section that on the outside feels or looks, mundane. I pray, Lord, that your power would be at work today. I ask that your Spirit would enable our ears to hear what you have for us today, and I trust your Holy Spirit to transform our hearts. We lift this time to you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Uh, This is a good day to open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter two. I wanna invite you to do that. Philippians chapter two, uh, we're in 19 to 30, and we're gonna first look at Paul's logistical purpose for this section. Uh, That kinda helps us understand what exactly is going on here as we look at his logistical purpose for this section of Philippians chapter two. And as we dive into verses 19 to 24, we see Paul explains why Timothy won't be coming to the Philippians as soon as they may be hoped. Paul explains that he's gonna send Timothy when he knows, quote, how it will go with me. And if you're just joining us here, Paul is sending this letter from prison in Rome, he has appealed to, to to Caesar. He wants to take his case all the way, all the way to the emperor, and so he is imprisoned in Rome. and And when he says, "I'm going to send Timothy as soon as I know how it will go with me," that's like a like a, a, a real nice way of saying, I'm going to wait and see if my head's still on my shoulders after this trial or if I get executed. I mean, this is life and death. He's on death row here. And, and so he explains that he's going to send him when he knows the, the result of his imprisonment and trial. I think it's important to point out, too, that Paul's plans here... All of these logistical plans he's making, you know, he, he bought the travel insurance for all of this. Um, it, it's all held loosely before God's plans. Look at verses 19 and 24. He says, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy, and I trust in the Lord that I'll also be able to come. It's like he's saying, I have these ideas, these plans, but I know the Lord may have other plans, and so my hope is in the Lord's plans, and, and, but he's, he's, he's saying, he's making his own plans and saying, we'll see what the Lord, what the Lord does. So his, his plans are held loosely before God's plans. So he talks about Timothy and says, hey, Tim isn't coming as soon as you expected. And then he goes on in verses 25 to 30, and he explains why Epaphroditus is going to be showing up sooner than they expected. You know, here I think it's important to, to, to take a step back because it's easy to get lost in some of the ins and outs and who's coming when and why and all of this. So we need to remember the Philippians, they had sent Epaphroditus to Paul with a financial gift. They heard that he was imprisoned. They know that he's on death row. They know this could be the end. And the unique thing for Paul, a privilege he has being a citizen of Rome, is even though he's imprisoned, It's something that scholars believe he was likely on house arrest, that he was not like in a dank dungeon, but he was, if he had the means, able to rent a home and stay in that home, and uh, courtesy of the emperor, he was provided a guard who was chained to him 24 seven, so they knew he'd never leave, and so he was truly imprisoned in this house, But there was opportunity for the church to come and provide for his financial needs. And so they sent Epaphroditus with a financial gift to make sure that he could stay in a a place that met his needs and had the food and medical care that he needed and whatever else he needed. And their intent was that Epaphroditus would not just deliver this financial gift. Uh, Venmo was still in its early production working out the bugs. They couldn't just then Moem. Um, But they wanted him to actually stay and minister to his physical needs as well. They didn't want his only company to be the brute that he was chained to. So they were expecting that Epaphroditus would be there until the end of his incarceration. They were expecting not to see Epaphroditus until Paul's imprisonment was completed either because he was executed or because he had been freed. In which case, they would not expect to see Epaphroditus come back by himself. So if you're the Philippian church and every day you're checking the road and you're wondering, is he coming back today? If you saw your friend returning by himself without Paul, your heart would sink, because you would know that Paul had been executed. So those in the church would likely greet Epaphroditus when they saw him with great disappointment, and then once he started talking, saying, whoa, 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 don't worry, no, guys, 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 he's still alive, he's still in prison, their disappointment likely would turn to anger, like, what are you doing? Do you abandon your mission? You're supposed to stay there and encourage him. And so Paul was very careful in this letter to say, hey, I want to send him back to you. And, and he's careful to do this for several reasons. He wanted to make sure that they understood that Epaphroditus had not abandoned his mission. In fact, quite the opposite. He was willing to give his life for the mission. He had suffered a sickness, an unnamed sickness. We don't know what it was. He nearly died. The Lord healed him, and, and just really, even without the sickness, do you know what it means to be the friend of a man on death row in Rome who's being held because they think that he's committed high treason against the emperor? Like, this is a dangerous mission, even without getting sick. And so Paul wanted to make sure that that the folks in Philippi knew that he had not abandoned the mission or abandoned him. So... In reality, Epaphroditus, he had had risked his life, very nearly lost it, and, and both he and Paul were concerned. This was a serious enough situation. Remember, you couldn't just mail a letter. If you wanted to send a letter, you had to find somebody, a person willing to carry that letter. The situation was grave enough that somebody thought it worthwhile to make a dangerous trip to go tell the Philippians, hey... Epaphroditus is really sick, he's probably gonna die, he's probably already dead. And then that person made it all the way back to Paul and Epaphroditus to say, oh man, they're so worried about both of you now. So we gotta realize this was a serious, serious situation and Paul's logistical purposes here within, within this passage are, are, are really to, to, to handle a, a very serious matter. As it turned out though, his ongoing needs during his imprisonment had been met by the financial gift and then it turns out too, the Philippians wouldn't have known that he had Timothy with him that whole time and Timothy was able to care for all the needs that he had. So the summary here, Paul's logistical purpose in this passage, he wants the Philippian church to know, hey, Tim's not coming right away, he's gonna come later, but Epaphroditus is coming now and be nice to him when he shows up. (laughs) You know, that's that's his logistical purpose. Let's turn to his discipleship purposes here. The logistical purposes set the stage for Paul's discipleship purposes for the church. But to unpack what he's doing as he aims to teach and disciple the church in Philippi, we have to look at what he says in particular about the two men that he's talking about. Now, the people in Philippi, they know Timothy. They know Epaphroditus. Paul knows that they know him, and so he starts talking about them, and and, and it's it's like, it's like they probably could have written this as well, but it's important to see what Paul unpacks about the character of these two men. Look at verses 19 to 21 with me. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may too be cheered by news of you for I have no one like him. I've got no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare for they all, and he's talking about other people, other believers, people that that maybe that they know and common. he says, all those others, they seek their own interests, not the interests of Christ. Now look at this. Paul talks about Timothy who has this genuine concern for the church in Philippi, and it's a a concern for their welfare that sets him apart from all the others. Now, if you dig into this word, genuinely concerned, to try to know what exactly does this mean to be genuinely concerned, you'll find a rare word that's only used here in Scripture but was common, And, and, and this is a legal term. This word for genuine could be translated literally as begotten, as in a legal sense, a son who's begotten into a family, indicating that somebody has been, has, is begotten to and belongs in a particular family line. Paul is saying, hey, I'm sending Timothy to you when I know how it goes with me. As he's writing this, he knows that he may be sending Timothy by himself. He knows it. His imprisonment may end in death. He says, No one else will care for you. He has this genuine concern. It's the kind of concern that you would find within a family. It's this, this, this desire to see your welfare taken care of, the kind of desire that somebody would have who belonged in together in a family. Timothy's interests in the Philippians. Is, is unique and you can contrast it with everybody else in verse 21, these folks who seek their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. Now remember, Paul is speaking of Christians, even people involved in ministry. It's possible in ministry to be serving the Lord and doing churchy stuff like like what we're doing here and to do it really truly seeking your own interests instead of the interests of Jesus. That's possible and Paul's saying, hey, Timothy's not like, you know people like that and Timothy, he's not like that. No, he belongs to you like family belongs to you. Timothy's interest in the Philippians is pure. It's the opposite of of self-motivated. He's not looking when he goes because Paul sends him to this church, he's not looking to go to this church to, to grow his audience or his name or his followers or his influence. He's looking to further the work of Jesus in them. It's a genuine concern for their welfare in Christ. And Paul says in verse 20, this is beautiful, he says, I have no one like him. This word, no one like him, in the Greek, it's, it literally means that, that we have the same soul it's the same language that we've, we've looked at earlier in Philippians 2 the last three weeks. This same word is translated in verse two of chapter two of Philippians, as being in full accord and of one mind with somebody. He's saying he's saying there's, there's no one like him. The, like the, this, this man is united in purpose. We are united in unity. We are of the same soul, the same mind. Our heart beats because the Holy Spirit makes it beat together. He's, he, it's hard to describe in English just how high highly, Paul is lifting up the character and heart of his his son, Timothy. And then he goes on to speak of Timothy as a father and and as a son. Verse 22, he says, you know this about him. You know his proven worth. This isn't all just words, church. This, This man has proven his worth. Now this word proven worth it's a beautiful word, and Paul uses it on purpose, and he, he's, he's only used it one other time in his letters. If you look at Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4 and 5, you see this, this beautiful picture that Paul paints of what it means to suffer. This should be a familiar passage to most of us. Romans 5, 3 says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And this is the kind of hope that doesn't disappoint because it points us to the love of God that will carry us through the very end. this character that Romans 5 speaks of, this is the same word that Paul uses in Philippians 2 to speak of Timothy's proven worth. It's the kind of character, it's the kind of personal value that comes when you have suffered for the sake of Jesus and Jesus has transformed your heart and made you soft to the work of God and the love of God and the love of his people through that suffering. Timothy's character is proven. Now let's look at what Paul says about Epaphroditus. I don't know how he could say anything any higher than what he said about Timothy, but look at the next section where he talks about Epaphroditus. It's like this, this bouquet of words. Look at this, he says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my word. He's saying, this man, Epaphroditus, he's the real deal. You sent him on a mission that he accepted. And it's like he's saying his worth is also proven, just like Timothy's has been. He nearly died for the sake of Christ. Paul regards him like family, as a brother. Paul regards him as a peer in the work of the gospel, a fellow worker. He regards him as a fellow soldier, somebody who stood in the trenches and suffered and taken the shots and taken the hits. He is talking about Epaphroditus in, with, with all of these superlatives. It's just beautiful. He says, your messenger, that word is literally apostolos. It's like, it, it's like he's lending Epaphroditus Paul's title of apostle here. He's, he's speaking highly of him. He wants the church to have no mistake. This man is worthy of your honor <clears throat> he also says he's been a minister to my need he lifts up Epaphroditus and he instructs them in verses 29 to 30 he says receive him with joy see him as setting the standard for what and who you that th- they're to honor and he points out he has risked everything his very life for the sake of of Christ, the calling of Christ. Now, if you look at verse 30, this this term, risking his life, it's it's literally a gambling term. And I, I know we're a Baptist church, but Paul talks about gambling, so I'm talking about gambling here. Paul is saying, this man, Epaphroditus, he wagered his very life for the sake and purpose of Jesus, and he was willing to lose it, to give it all up for the sake of Christ. Paul sees it, and we don't know all the details of the circumstances, but he sees this sickness that Epaphroditus that he contracted as being unavoidable if he was to be faithful to the work that Jesus had called him to. He risked everything for the sake of Christ. So we have this man, Epaphroditus, who had, was sent by the Philippian church. And I, I'd love to have seen like the church meeting when they chose him and sent him. Like, hey, who's willing to go hang out with the guy that uh, uh, is on death row and is is wanted for treason against the Roman government and you may not ever come home and it's a long journey, which is dangerous anyways. Who's willing to give all this up and never see your wife and kids again or us again? Like, Like, how many hands do you think went up for that? I don't know. I wish I could, like, I can't wait to talk to these people down the road someday and find out what this was like. But they sent him. He bravely accepted the mission and was willing to give everything for it, and, and nearly his life was demanded of him. So Paul is sending him back. And he's sending him back, and he, he's, he's, he doesn't just tell them to honor Epaphroditus. He doesn't just tell them to honor this man. He says, these men, Epaphroditus, Timothy, they have set the standard. These are the kinds of people you are to honor. These are the kinds of people that are worthy of your praise. Honor such men, the kind of men that would give it everything up for the sake of Jesus. This is the kind of man there to honor, those who walk with Jesus, who, who they he, he's, he's instructing the church here. He's discipling them, he's saying, you need to make a shift in who and what you honor, who you are willing to look up to. So I ask today, church, who do you honor? Who do you admire? Who do you esteem? For you and I today, what are the kinds of men that we are willing to recognize? The kinds of women that we are willing to point to to say, this is what it means to walk with Jesus? You know, um, there are lots of ways to honor somebody. And if we look at the ways in Scripture, I mean, the, we see here the Philippians, they honored Paul by giving a financial gift. So they, they're, they're honoring him with their finances. They're saying, hey, we want to help you out. That's a way you can honor somebody financially. You know, there are ways you can honor people. You can honor people by giving them your attention, you know, a combination of your time and your focus. You can honor somebody by giving them your time just by being willing to go be with them. They sent Epaphroditus to honor Paul. I mean, they were honoring Paul's role in their life as a church by saying, hey, we don't want you to suffer alone. We're we're gonna send this man to, to walk with you and minister to you and care for you and just be present with you. So who do you admire? Who do you honor? Who do you esteem? You know, I think it's interesting these days, and, and this probably was no different then as well, we have a tendency to honor those who have remarkable gifts, remarkable talent, remarkable beauty or humor or like output, you know, like people who produce a lot, like that guy scored a lot of touchdowns and that guy sold a lot of houses and, 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 and that woman did 11 loads of laundry the day before we left for our road trip. That's actually true. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll honor her, that's amazing. You know, we tend to honor people because of these things, their gifts, their talents, their beauty, their humor, their output, what they're able to produce. You know, we honor people because of, of, of these, these, these external things. But who does Paul tell the Philippians to honor? look at this list. Look at what he says. He says a lot about Timothy and Epaphroditus. Does he say, hey, I'm sending Timothy to you after the Romans behead me because I want somebody there who's a great teacher. Does he say that? I imagine Timothy's a great teacher, but is that why he told them to honor him? Does he say, hey, you, I'm sending Epaphroditus back to you because like, like he's He's really winsome, <laughs> and the church needs winsome people so that folks who don't know Jesus will be won over because he's, he's not hard to look at. And he's funny, but he's also really gifted with knowing how to talk with people who have different beliefs and who's able to really clearly articulate the gospel. He can do these things. Does, does he tell the church to honor Timothy and Epaphroditus because of what they do? No. Who does Paul tell the Philippians to honor? He says, honor such men, those with a Christ-like character, proven and revealed through suffering and service. That's who he tells them to honor. We get so caught up with gifting and all these other things and, and, and Paul is saying, church, I want you to honor the kind of people that are like Jesus. Timothy's preaching stinks, but you know what? His character, he's got a love for you that is unmatched in this world. Honor him. Like I said, I doubt Timothy's character, or Timothy's preaching stinks, but it's, his character is huge. He holds them up. Timothy and Epaphroditus as what it looks like to live in the way that he's been exhorting them throughout Philippians so far, throughout this letter. He's saying they truly embody this Christ-like character. They are the kinds of people you're to honor. Remember the kind of character that he's been exhorting them to have? Close your eyes and think about Epaphroditus and Timothy as I read back from Philippians two, one to eight. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, if you have any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind, this attitude among yourselves, which is yours in Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Philippian church, Timothy and Epaphroditus, they look like this. This is who you should honor. You should look to them as your example of what it means to live in a Christ like way. Paul is lifting them up as this beautiful example. Now, last week, Dale unpacked what it means for us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling because of the work that the Lord is doing in us. And if you missed last week or the week before, I encourage you to go back and listen. Uh, And that passage is is often misunderstood. If you've grown up in the church and you've heard that passage, I need to work out my salvation. What I thought, Jesus worked out my salvation. I thought it was finished on the cross. and, and, And Dale shared this illustration I thought was great. It was so helpful. He said, you know, getting saved, responding to the work of Jesus and, and being saved into the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's a lot like getting married. You know, you... Those of you who aren't married and you're hoping to be married, maybe, maybe you have this yearning, this longing like, I, if I can just get to that day, I just want to be married. It's a lot like getting married because when you're married, af- after the wedding and the celebration is over, you realize you've not come to the end of something, you've not like finished something, no. <laughs> you've just begun to work out what it means to be married and to spend your life for the sake of someone else. And so when, when you try, if we try to understand why Paul includes all of this stuff here, all of these logistical items and, and everything, all of it is, is meant to be an opportunity to showcase the Christ-like character of, of Epaphroditus and Timothy so that he can tell the Philippian church, hey, as you work out, your salvation, as you spend your life figuring out what it means to belong to Jesus and to be saved. Like those of you who get married, spend your lives figuring out what it means to be married. As you do that, you must change whom and what you honor. So Paul's helping them work this out. This is the big idea of this passage. He's saying, hey, as you work out your salvation, working it out must change the kinds of people that you honor, whom and what you honor. We have this tendency to look at gifting and to hold up all of these other things. And God is saying, I want you to honor those who carry a character that looks like Jesus, an internal character of Christ that's been tested through suffering and trial, and they come out looking like Jesus. Why is this? You see, what and who we honor will shape what and who we become. If we spend our lives honoring and esteeming and looking up to people who don't carry the character of Christ We will spend our lives working against the work of Jesus because friends, if you have trusted Christ and you are a Christian, God's work in your life day by day is to transform you and make you more and more and more like Jesus Christ. We need to align those that we honor with the work of God so that he can transform us more and more. So I wanna invite you today, friends, Evaluate who you honor. Evaluate the people that you you value, the people that you esteem, the people that you look up to. Do they have the character of Christ? If we're going to work out our salvation before God with fear and trembling and spend our lives understanding what it means to belong to Jesus, we must change whom and what We honor. So who do you honor? Who do you admire? Who do you esteem? Do they have the character of Christ? Is it proven? Have you seen them respond with Christ-like love when they suffer, when they don't get what they want? Paul, how many times did Paul not get what he wanted when God's Spirit redirected him? and he responded with faithfulness to Jesus and faithfulness to the church. Paul uses the logistics of all of these travel plans to hold up as examples the kind of people we should look to and honor who have a Christ-like character. If so I wanna encourage you, you know, I've been thinking about what keeps us from honoring people who are like Jesus? What are, what are the things that keep us from that? I, you know, I think in general we, we avoid talking about the, the ways that we suffer. <laughs> we don't want to be complainers. We don't want to be perceived as quitters. We don't want to be perceived as somebody who just is camped out in the negative side of things. We avoid talking about the ways that we suffer. But friends, this is where we can see God's faithfulness in our lives. So I want to encourage you. Be, be willing to step out and, and ask people, you know, who, who are suffering, how are you seeing the Lord now? Give them a chance. Honor them. Give them a chance to share how God is working through that. Because as we saw in that Romans passage, it is through suffering that we see the kind of proven character develop that, that honors Christ. We also have this tendency to give so much of our time and focus and energy. We plant our eyes on screens, we plant our hearts on TV shows instead of valuing face-to-face interaction with people. Notice this passage in in the the logistics of all this travel, Paul, and they didn't have screens and stuff, but Paul is valuing face-to-face time with the kind of people who have the character of Christ. I wanna encourage you, step out, invite somebody to lunch, spend face-to-face time with somebody you see who has the character of Christ. Working out our salvation must change whom and what we honor, and we can honor them by investing our time and our effort and our energy and our very presence with those who we see walking with Jesus. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to see the work that you are doing in us to grow the character of Jesus and the work that you are doing in our brothers and sisters and our families and in our church, Lord. Help us to honor and revere and esteem those who carry the character of Christ. Make us a community. Make us a people that holds up the character of Christ as our highest calling. Lord, help us to walk in this work that you are doing in us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. That concludes LifePoint Church's podcast. For more information about our church, visit sharethelife.org.